And uh, yeah. So it's amazing how God can use even the simplest of efforts to uh, change the world. And they will meet one day, amen? The two of them, Kim and Nick, they're going to meet. And uh, it'll be in the presence of the Lord. So that's our desire, to make an impact for Jesus Christ everywhere we go. With that in mind, let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to speak with you this morning. Thank you that we can turn our hearts to you, God, and be part of your work to build your kingdom because it is powerful. And it is the one true hope for this world. And Lord, I pray that as we open up the word now, that we would open up our hearts to your inspection, that we would be changed by it. Help us to remember, Lord, that you want a relationship with us. And so as you're here right now, Lord, we draw near to you. And we desire to be your followers. And so we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. And we're working our way through the redemptive story of God's word. It's your story because it ultimately led to your salvation. Like Nick, who came to faith in Christ, there was a moment when you were not a believer and then a moment when you were. And it changed everything. Changed your eternity. That's why you're here this morning, to worship the God that loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross for you. That's why we come together as a church to draw near to this amazing God that created us in his image and that provided a way for us. He redeemed us. He paid the price for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And as you know, it started in the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world and death as a result of that sin. We talked about Cain and Abel, about Noah, about the Tower of Babel, about Abraham, about Isaac, about Jacob, about Joseph, working our way through the history of the Old Testament, about Moses and taking us through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then we talked about Joshua and Caleb. And how they were two spies that believed God for the victory. And how Joshua led the armies of Israel to conquer the promised land that God would give them. But they had to fight for it. They had to enter in and won it. And Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, had come to faith in God and believed in the God of Israel. And she and her family were saved when Jericho was destroyed. Then we talked about Deborah and Gideon, two Judges during the period of the judges, 400 years when they were in the promised land and they were being led by various judges who would judge in the nation of Israel. And Deborah and Gideon were two of them. And last week we talked about Ruth and her amazing love story, how she left her country and God became her God and God's people became her people. And she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, an amazing story of redemption in the life of Ruth. And today I want to talk about this, Samuel, and as well talk about Saul a little bit to highlight that Samuel is this amazing bridge figure between the period of the judges and the kingdom of Israel, when the nation of Israel will be ruled by a king. And uh, there was a period called the United Kingdom when three kings would rule. Samuel is this judge between and prophet between the period of the judges and the kingdom of Israel. And let me kind of walk through those periods again. The wandering in the wilderness, that's in the book of Numbers, right? So you get a feel for the Old Testament story. And then the conquest of the promised land by Joshua, that took seven years, that's in the book of Joshua. Then the 400-year period of the Judges, that's in the book of Judges and the book of Ruth. And then we enter into the United Kingdom, 
where Israel would be one nation. Later, it would be divided into a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. But now it's a united kingdom. And there were three kings that reigned during that time, Saul, David, and Solomon. And it lasted about 120 years. But Samuel was this amazing prophet around 1000 B.C. that bridged the nation of Israel from the period of the judges into the period of the united kingdom. And he was a man who loved God. It's an amazing story of how Samuel uh, came to be a prophet and would ultimately lead to anointing the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. Uh, Saul didn't turn out to be a great king, but Samuel was a great prophet. I'd love you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. It's page 227 in your chair Bibles as we study this amazing prophet. Now, you may know a little bit about Samuel. Hannah was his mother. Hannah had no children, and every year, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, and Hannah would go to the temple to worship the Lord. But Hannah had no children, and every year she would pray to God, God, give me a child, give me a son. If you give me a son, I will give him to you to serve you his entire life. And Eli, the priest at that time, saw Hannah praying and crying in front of the temple and said to her, go your way, the Lord will grant your wish. And she took that as a word from the Lord, and sure enough, she had a boy by the name of Samuel. And when he became uh, the right age, she gave him to Eli, the priest, and said, he will serve you in the temple and be a servant for you, for the Lord. That's exactly what she did. Can you imagine how difficult that was to give away your only son uh, to the Lord as you had promised? And she wanted that son so badly, but she knew she had promised the Lord that she would give Samuel to the Lord, and that's what she did. God would eventually bless Hannah with other children. But Samuel, from an early age, would be serving the Lord. I want to read what happens in chapter 3 of verse 1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So the Lord was not speaking to many people during those days. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So he's right there where the ark is. Shielded, of course, from it. But he's there serving in the temple. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lied down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On the day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him, that I'm about to punish his house forever and the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had disdained the house of the Lord. They were, they were worthless sons according to the, the Bible. 
And they were doing terrible things in the house of the Lord. And so God was going to judge Eli and his house because Eli didn't take the proper steps that he should have. He ignored it. He allowed it to happen. And I declare to you, I'm going to punish his house forever, this verse 13, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here am I. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you so and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he sees good to, to, to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of, I love how he puts this, let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. That's kind of like saying, when you say that about Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's kind of like saying from sea to shining sea. You know, from one coast to the other. In all the regions of Israel. They knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here's the bottom line of our talk today. It's this. Samuel hears the audible voice of God and responds by conveying God's message and living a life characterized by hearing, living, and communicating the word of God. Same challenge to us, right? That we would be people that would hear the word of God, live it out, and then communicate it. It's exactly what the job of the prophet was. And I love how it says, Samuel did not allow any of the words of the Lord to fall to the ground. He didn't fumble any of them. When he got a message from the Lord, he handled it the way it should be handled. He was a prophet of God, and the standard was pretty high. If you're a prophet of God and you prophesy and you're wrong, you're stoned to death. The prophet had a big responsibility. He needed to handle the word of God correctly. But, but here's the question that I have as I read this. Hearing the Lord, you know, we talk about the, the relationship with Christ as just that. It's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? When you come to faith in Christ, we say, it's not a religion. And what do we mean by that? It's not a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through to earn your way to God. A religion is all about man's efforts to get the attention of God. We say it's a relationship. It's about God's efforts to pay the price for your sins and mine. And, and when you believe that, when you put your faith in Christ, you enter into, and here it is, a relationship with God. A two-way relationship. When you pray and you speak to God and you share with Him and you worship with Him and you, you open up your heart to Him, and by the way, you shouldn't ever be af uh, afraid to do that. God already knows what's in your heart. Don't ever hold anything back from God in prayer. He knows already what your struggles are, but he longs for you to come to him in prayer and share those struggles with him as you worship him. But we're also to allow God to speak into our heart. And that's always been a question of mine ever since I've been a believer. How does God speak into our lives? I remember being in Bible college when I sensed the Lord was calling me into ministry. And I remember going to Bible college, and I would hear speakers say things like this, God told me today to speak in this passage, and God said to me that I should speak from this passage. And I would be amazed by that because I thought, wow, this person is hearing the voice of God. And I would go up to speakers after the chapel at Bible college, and I would ask them about it. I did this to a number of speakers when I never had the opportunity. You said that you heard God tell you 
to speak from this passage, or, or God told you to do this, did you actually hear the audible voice of God, or was it an impression he gave you? And virtually without fail, every one of them said, no, I didn't hear the audible voice of God. I felt led by God to, 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 to preach from this passage or to do this thing. I was at a meeting with pastors this week, and the, one of the pastors that got up to speak said that he met a stranger, and he was a bit busy in his schedule, and he didn't want to talk to this stranger. And he said, God told me, I love this man that's standing in front of you more than you do. I know everything about him. And God told me, and he said, God was messing with me, and he told me, you need to speak to this guy. I should have gone up. I didn't. But I wanted to go up and say, did he audibly tell you to do that? Because I think it sometimes confuses people. I think people wonder, should I be hearing the audible voice of God? And what I mean by the audible voice of God is if there was someone standing next to you, they would hear that same voice as well because it's audible. Have you heard the audible voice of God? Samuel did. Samuel heard the audible voice of God. And there are times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where people did hear the audible voice of God. But is it the norm? Is it it something we should expect in our lives? Here's the first thing I want to convey. Samuel obeys but doesn't recognize the voice of the Lord. It says he had not encountered the Lord yet. So he didn't recognize that this was God speaking to him. And, And that implies to me that there is a process by which we as believers grow up in our faith and become more engaged in our relationship with God, more open to hearing God speak to us. But should we expect to hear the audible voice of God? Should we seek that? Should that be something that we want? Should we be praying, God, I want to hear your audible voice? See, here in this passage, God's message is miraculous. He calls to Samuel four times. And he has a specific message. It's clear and it is specific. And when we hold the word of God, by the way, I hope you know that you are holding the word of God, that God speaks to us through his word. It's clear. It's miraculous. It's specific. It tells us exactly what we're to do as followers of Jesus Christ. It tells us exactly what we are to do as the church of Jesus Christ. It is miraculous. I was uh, at the Conover Auto Shop getting my brakes checked this uh, week on uh, Thursday. And uh, I was sitting there and uh, I, was, I had my computer out because I was working on my sermon. You know, I have to use every available moment I can to get my sermons done. And uh, I had my computer up, and you can see my computer is here, and on the front of it is a cross. And another man comes in, and he sees me working on my computer, and he says this to me. He says, your cross is showing. And I said, oh, I said, I, I said does it bother you? And I said, is it, is it a trigger? And he says, yeah, it's a trigger for me. It, it bothers me. And I could tell just by the way he said it that it didn't really. He was kind of playing with me. And I said, well, listen, if it bothers you that much, I can give you counseling because I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, you're a pastor? And he said, yes. And he said, I'm a recovering pastor. And I said, oh, okay, tell me your story. And uh, he told me his amazing story. And he, a great guy. We, had, we became friends talking there for about an hour as we were at the shop. But he shared with me that he had a dream one time. That he was driving in the car and he fell asleep and had a dream that he believed was the Lord speaking to him in that dream. And he shared with me the amazing dream that he had and how eventually, years later, it came to pass. But does God speak to us today? I think that's a great question for all of us to struggle with. Do we 
know that God speaks to us today. And here's what I would say. Absolutely, God speaks to us today. Absolutely, God speaks to us today. How does he do that? He does that through his word, number one. That's the number one way in which God speaks to us today. So when, when you're seeking to hear the audible voice of God, like I was when I was a young believer, hey, I want to hear the audible voice of God. I hear pastors talking about God told me to do this. God said this to me. And by the way, let me say this right off the bat. I have never heard the audible voice of God, ever. Never heard the audible voice of God. If I do hear the audible voice of God, you'll be the first to know. Believe me, I will tell you. But I have never heard the audible voice of God. But there have been times in my Christian life when I have sensed an impression that God has given me or a leading of the Lord so clearly that it was as if he was speaking to me audibly. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. But as a believer, I began to realize, first and foremost, God speaks to us through his word. We're to take the word of God and, 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 and assimilate it into our hearts for what it truly is the word of God. See, Hebrews 1 says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So in the very beginning of the passage, we see that God spoke to us through his word, through the prophets, right? Recorded in the word of God. And now we have the revelation of Jesus Christ in which God spoke through Jesus because Jesus was God in flesh. I believe this, God also speaks through circumstances. He leads us and guides us through circumstances in our lives. Acts 16 says this, And they, the disciples, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Something happened. A door was closed that did not allow them to go to Asia. They were not allowed to go. The Lord made his will very clear to the disciples. You're not to go to Asia and speak there. I have another place for you to go to. So in our lives, the Lord speaks to us often through circumstances, and he leads us that way. Uh, you probably know as you've been uh, a believer trying to find a job and you have maybe one or two offers, job possibilities, you pray about that and God may open up a door for you in a certain job and close the door in another job. And you take that as the Lord leading you. Here's another way I believe that God speaks to us today. It's through trials. C.S. Lewis said this, pain is the megaphone of God. See, so often if we're, thing, we're in a life that where things are going our way and everything's great and there's no problems, we find it difficult to listen to God. Hey, I'm doing so well. God's blessing me. I don't need to hear any more from God. Everything's going great. But when we have trials in our lives, it slows us down. It makes us more dependent on God. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, pain is the megaphone of God. It's when we are most ready to listen to God in our heart and, and to follow God and depend on him, i.e. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, that was not removed from him so that he would be more dependent on God, more reliant upon him. So God can often speak to us through trials. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Now, the whole word tested implies that God is involved in this. God is testing us. God doesn't test us so that God will be more informed about what is in our heart. He already knows. We are tested so that we would be more informed as to what is in our heart and what needs to change. 
So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That there are times when we are tested in our faith. James talks about that. That trials are to have their their, their result, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That God grows us up through our trials and identifies those areas in our lives that need to change. Here's another way I believe that God speaks through us to us today. Through the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Through the conviction work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, that, that happens so often in my life, and I'm sure it does in, in yours as well. If you allow it to happen. The Holy Spirit convicts you. That's part of his job. If he's living inside of you, you ought to be feeling the conviction work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Part of his job is to convict us of sin, to identify for us those areas that are not right, that are not like Jesus. Hey, this this attitude I have, it's not like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will convict you. If someone said to me, I have never felt the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in my life, my conclusion would be you're probably not a believer. You've probably never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now that ultimately is God's call, not mine. But one obvious result of truly being a follower of Christ is the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's convicting you. He's, he's uh, you know, and if there's something, there have been times I've met people and I'm like, mm, something's not right here. They're, they're saying something. They say they're Christians, but they're, oh man, they just don't, I don't feel it. There's this conviction I have. It's not right. I went to the, I think I shared with you, I went to this pastor's meeting down in San Diego and, uh, this week. And it was a great time. There was about 200 pastors there, and we had a wonderful time together. On the way back from San Diego, I, I realized I had to do some work on my sermon again. So I knew if I went home, straight home, my kids would be there, and my little kids, and I would not get anything done. So on the way home, I stopped at a Starbucks. And when I came in, the Starbucks was pretty full. And, and there weren't many seats, but I happened to notice there was a, a chair over here and a coffee table and another chair there. But there was a woman sitting there reading a newspaper. So I walked up to the chair, and I walked up to the woman, and I said, is this chair taken? And she said, no, go ahead, it's yours. I said, great. And she's reading her newspaper, and as I'm getting my bag down and opening up the computer, she, says, she puts down her paper and says, there's just no good news today. Now, if there's anything somebody can say... That will be an open door for a pastor. It's that, isn't it? She goes, oh, there's just no good news today. So right away I said, I've got good news for you. And she said, really? What is it? And I said, God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you so you can have a relationship with him. It's the best news the world has ever heard. She looked at me and said, you believe that? I said, I do with all my heart. And he's changed my life. And she said, well, that does sound like good news. I said, it's great news. And I said, have you ever thought about that? Have you heard about that? And she said, well, to be honest with you, and this is what she said to me, I just joined the Mormon church. And I said to her, as you know, Mormons believe differently than we do. They believe, I I believe, a false teaching of the word of God. And I said to her, "Then, then God has me here for a reason because I'm a pastor. And what they teach is not what the Bible teaches. And how long have you been part of the Mormon church? One month. I said, you need to get out as soon as you can. Let me tell you why. 
And we had this amazing conversation. Uh, but that's the kind of discernment that you need to have when you encounter false teaching. Now, that's not right. That doesn't match the word of God. And that's all around us, my friends. And I say that as the most loving thing I could say. It would have been horrific for me to say to her, oh, you need to stay in that false teaching. Good for you. You're in that church. Good for you that you joined that. That would have been so unloving for me. You need to get into the word of God. Because this is where truth is found. Here's another way in which I believe God speaks to us today. Through a still, small voice. Through a still, small voice in our hearts. Now, there's a passage in the Word of God that, that fits this. It's Elijah. Elijah was running from Jezebel who wanted to kill him. And God met Elijah in a cave. It said this in the Word of God. He, the Lord, was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. You know, Elijah's there in the cave. And there's a wind that comes and shatters the rocks. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And there's an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake's a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I love that passage. Because there are times in my life where I've sensed not an audible voice, but a still, small voice in my heart uh, leading me and convicting me. And, and that's the way in which I have experienced God speaking to, to me in most cases, obviously the Word of God is a huge part of God speaking to my heart. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I do know this, that when I give God time to speak into my heart, when I allow Him the time to convict me of things in my life, He will do it. The problem is we often don't give Him the time to allow Him to speak. Now, does God speak audibly? Can He if He desires? Yes, he can. And there may be some in this room that have heard the audible voice of God. Praise God for that. You have been extremely blessed. Because the reality is, it's the exception, not the rule. And I believe this, it's less common when demanded. If you are saying to the Lord, Lord, I'll follow you when I hear your audible voice, I don't believe God's going to respond to that. Because you're asking for a sign. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You're demanding from God, hey, I need this sign to believe in you. In fact, when I look at the Word of God, I don't see God responding to people that say, I need for you to speak to me now. Speak to me audibly. God can obviously do whatever He wants that's in accordance with His character, right? He can never violate His character. He can never sin, for example. But if God wants to speak to you in an audible voice, He can do that. There's nothing in the Bible that forbids Him from doing that. But that is the exception rather than the rule. It happens a number of times in the Bible, but that's over 4,000 years of human history. And many times where the Bible uh, records that people never heard the audible voice of God, but still obeyed God. And so... I would say to all of us today, when Samuel hears the voice of the Lord, we shouldn't take that as prescriptive, that that's what we should be hearing, the audible voice of God. If God chooses to do that, then we've been blessed. We should never demand it, but follow the word of the Lord as it has been given to us. I like what one commentator said, over the course of 4,000 years of biblical human history, God speaking audibly is the exception, not the rule. Even in the biblically recorded instances of God speaking, it is not always clear whether it was an audible voice, an inner voice, or a mental impression. So what I say, and I've never really said this at church, I don't ever say the Lord told me to, because I don't want to create the same confusion that I felt as a young believer hearing a pastor say that. The Lord told me. I don't say that. 
Uh, what I would tell people is the Lord has led me to do these things. The Lord has convicted me to do these things. The Lord has spoken into my heart. It's not an audible voice. But, but this impression that the Lord has, he's impressed upon me. Now, you can use whatever verbiage you want. I choose to use this to convey how the Lord speaks into my heart because I don't want to mislead anyone. I don't ever want to be dishonest in how the Lord leads me. And believe me, if I ever hear, like I said before, the audible voice of God, you'll be the first to know. You will hear it. I will tell you. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I believe God has convicted me of things in that relationship with him. John 16 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I believe this was a promise made to the disciples. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. But there is a job the Holy Spirit has to help us gain truth. Now, if it is audible, if you do hear the audible voice of God, remember this, that deception can come audibly. That there can be deception that can arrive to you audibly. Galatians 1.8 says this, even if we or an angel from heaven uh, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So Paul's saying if you see an angel and an angel speaks to you audibly and he shares with you a gospel contrary to the one in God's word, then let that angel be accursed. So sometimes deception can come audibly. So we have to realize that. Here's the second thing. Like it says in that passage that we just read, always check what is said against the word of God. Just like Paul said, if someone comes to you and shares a message that's contrary to the word of God, always check what is said according to the word of God. Does it match the word of God? God will never tell you to do something that's contrary to the word of God. Even if it's an audible message, it will not be contrary to the word of God. Here's the next thing we need to understand. Confide with a spiritually mature person about what you heard. If you heard something audibly, and you could, God has the ability to do that, I would confide with a spiritually mature person about what you heard to confirm that and have someone give you feedback about that message. But, but here's the question. Why don't we hear more? Why don't we hear more? We, we have, here's the first thing I need to realize. We have God's word. Beyond that, it's God's decision. I believe one of the reasons why God doesn't speak, perhaps, as much as he did in the Old Testament, and I don't know if it was all that much, it's because this. We have this amazing gift that Old Testament believers didn't have. We have this amazing gift that even New Testament believers didn't have initially. That is the word of God in our hands. We have God's word. It's an amazing blessing. And we're to rely on the word of God for our daily modus operandi, the way we are to operate, to love God's word. Here's another thing, because we aren't taking time to listen. So often in our busyness, we don't take time to listen to God. I don't know if you're like me, but at times I read the word every morning. I have the word of God on my desk every morning. I get up the same time every morning. I read it every morning. There are times when I need to get off to a, a meeting or go somewhere to a pastor's conference or, or be at church to meet this person. And I don't give the Lord the time that I can give on other days when I'm not pressed by my schedule. 
And just to meditate on the word of God and to have a time of silence before the Lord, even as I pray, just to allow the Lord to speak into my heart about what I just read in the word of God. The reason why we don't hear that still small voice inside of us as much as we should, we don't give him the time that we should. Here's another thing. We neglect spending time seeking God's heart. We neglect spending the time of really seeking the Lord. We allow maybe the word to speak into our lives, but then to reciprocate and say, Lord, I want to seek your heart. I want to pursue your heart and what your message is for me in my life. Prayer and meditation are often neglected in our lives. We often neglect meditation on the word of God. You know, meditation is a kind of a cool thing now, right? People meditate all the time. Transcendental meditation. Well, the Bible talks about meditation, and it's not clearing our mind of everything. It's allowing the Word of God to fill us and meditate on the Word of God. Psalm 1.1 says that the person who lives for the Lord meditates on his Word day and night. So how do we meditate? Well, like it says in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, feed your heart and mind the Word of God. Affirm the presence of Jesus with you. Practice the presence of God in your life. He's always with you. When you're driving, even when you're driving in your car, once in a while, turn off the radio. And just allow your mind to meditate maybe on the Word of God that you read that morning or a message that you heard or even a message you just heard on the radio. Turn off the radio and be in silence before Him. Review recent scriptures that you read or teachings that you heard or maybe things that are happening in your relationships. Meditate upon them. So many times in the stillness, God has said to me, Mel, you know, you need to go back to your wife and apologize for that. Or or you need to go to this brother or sister and apologize for that. Or, Or make it right. Allowing the the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and be still before God. Be still before Him. See, here's the sadness in this whole passage. Eli was a priest. God had confronted him about the evil actions of his two sons. Eli had heard the word of the Lord, but he didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And and that's the next step in this whole process is to obey the word of God. 1 Samuel 2.12 says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They were priests in the temple, but they didn't know the Lord. They were worthless. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They were there leading the people in worship, but they were in contempt of the offering of the Lord. And Eli knew about it, did nothing about it. He wasn't a doer of the word. He heard the word of God, but didn't do anything about it. That's why Eli and his sons were judged so harshly. This is what God said to Eli. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings? And here's the sad part. And honor your sons above me. And honor your sons above me. Eli was convicted of his sin, but he didn't do anything about it. So as you listen to the Lord, as you're in this relationship with God, respond to his conviction. Evaluate your heart. How can you change to be more in line with the word of God? To give the Lord time to speak into your heart. Samuel told Eli everything. We read it in the text. And Eli just simply said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems to be good to him. No effort on Eli's part to to get right with the Lord or to try to make it right. Even though God had already pronounced judgment, there was no effort on his part to try to make it right. 
So Eli ignored God's rebuke. He ignored it. He knew what his sons were doing and he ignored it. He reacted with passivity. And that's a great challenge for all of us today. As followers of Jesus Christ, don't be passive about what he convicts you of. Take action. Follow what the word of God says. And sadly, Eli reaped what he sowed. God judged the house of Eli. Eli's sons both died on the same day, and Eli died as well. God judged him for not following his word and taking his relationship with God seriously. I love how the Bible ends in this passage. Samuel responds to God's calling by building a legacy of faith and obedience. In 1 Samuel 2, it says this about Samuel. Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. I love that. None of his words. Then it says this, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a a prophet of the Lord. That's actually in chapter 3, verse 19. That that Samuel was a prophet because he lived it out. And later on in life, as you know, the people of Israel began to call for a king. They said, we we want a king, just like every other nation has a king. God should have been their king, right? And Samuel, their prophet, that wasn't good enough. We want a king. We want a physical leader. And Samuel warned them, if you have a king, he will be a burden on the nation and on you. He'll take your sons and daughters as servants. They'll become slaves to him. We still want a king. And they rejected God as king. These words are very telling. Samuel is the prophet of the Lord in the nation of Israel. God speaks to Samuel and says this in 1 Samuel 8, 7. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. Samuel, they're not rejecting you as a prophet. They're rejecting me as their king. My prayer would be that every one of us here today would say that we long for that relationship with God, that we would spend the time to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, to be a man like Samuel who does not allow any of the words of the Lord to be fumbled, to fall to the ground. But as we open up the word of God, we receive it for what it is, this amazing wisdom from this awesome God that created us and this awesome God that loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross for us. It is good news. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as our heads are bowed this morning, we want to be people that hear you. We want to be people that are convicted by you. We want to be people that are led by you. And Lord, we often don't give you the time to allow you to do that. We're so busy with our schedules. And Lord, I pray that as we live our lives that your Holy Spirit inside of us would clearly lead us and guide us. And Lord, I pray that everything that we do would be honoring to you. And Lord, I know that we can all express how you speak to us in different ways. I choose to use a certain verbiage. There are other people who choose to use a different verbiage. That's okay. As long as our hearts are there to hear from you. May that be our desire each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Every blessing you pour out all turn back to praise. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be. 